Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, no Russ again. Instead I have with me my friend Cameron, uh, because Cameron wants to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to him, something he's passionate about. Uh, we are going to talk about ROM hacking. This has come up barely in this series. Occasionally Russ and I have talked about, for example, Phantasy Star 2. There is a ROM hack of an easier version of the game where you get more experience and more money per combat so you can, you know, spend 2,000 less hours grinding. Uh, I believe we also talked about the Breath of Fire one when we were on that game. But uh, did you know you can do more with ROM hacking than just make the game a little easier? Cameron? Hey, um, so thanks for having me with Jeff. It's really cool to, you know, have some more nerds who even care about this to talk with <laughs> it about. Um, you know, and basically, like, I would say I got into ROM hacking when I started experimenting more with emulation because... You know, you start emulating and you like you find all these old games you want to play and it kind of gets old. You're like, okay, like, yeah, I wanted to play that, but maybe it's not as good as I remember. Or, um, you know, like I've grown up and I have other things to do with my life now. So like the appeal of just playing the old game I've already played kind of might not be what it was. Um, but you start thinking about it and then you realize like, oh, wait, there are games I've never played that no one has ever played that barely exist. I can't even buy on a cartridge. And that becomes fascinating again, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and like, uh, I feel like I need to start with kind of a disclaimer here, which is like, you know, don't pirate games, kids. Pirating games is bad. I have to say that. Like, there's a Home gun on to my the head RNG right now. does not endorse the pirating of games. Yeah. Jeff will kill me and my family if I encourage you to pirate games. So don't I mean, do I it. might anyway if I get bored. <laughs> I don't know how to end this joke, Jeff. Help. Uh, no, but uh, anyway, don't pirate games. And my point is, if you were to want to experiment with ROM hacking legally, I'm going to discuss how to do that now shortly, which is you get on uh, eBay and you want to find this game. You know, maybe it's a game you legally own. Like a good example would be Super Mario World. We'll get to that later. A lot of us own a real copy of Super Mario World. And for fair use purposes, that is your license to play Super Mario World any way you want to because you own it and that's your copy of the software. So then it's legal to have a ROM of Super Mario World. So then it's legal to own a copy of Super Mario World and play with it however you want to. And you know, if you had the hardware to dump ROMs out of the cartridge, you could do that. And downloading ROMs might not be exactly legal, but acquiring a ROM from your copy is not. And practically what's the difference, you know? Uh, so if you were to somehow acquire a copy of the ROM for Super Mario World, then you could do whatever you wanted to it. And this is where ROM hacking comes in. So ROM hacking is this uh, kind of the scene where a bunch of people who are talented programmers, basically they'll reverse engineer an entire video game for a system like Super Mario World, and then they will uh, write tools that can modify the game, or they'll modify it manually to create an altered version of the game and you could do stuff like this like Jeff mentioned you could alter difficulty or uh, maybe you could make it so Mario is always invincible for some reason because you wanted that I don't know why you would but that's just one so example. you could listen to the song on a loop yeah that's it and from there you know it's kind of the sky's the limit but the way people will put these out since it's not legal to distribute a pre-patched ROM they'll distribute what's called a patch file and the patch file is a thing where the patch records every difference from the standard ROM and the modified version. So it's just a difference recorded in a single file. And then you use a utility called a patcher to apply the patch to your standard ROM. 
and then you will have a patched ROM, which is your hacked game, and you can play that in any emulator. And if you even had, like, a flash cart, you could maybe play it on hardware. You know, and then you can just go to town. You can play any weird version of the game you want to play. And uh, I just mentioned Super Mario earlier, so I'll go ahead and get into this. Super Mario World is a very popular game to ROM hack, and there are a lot of tools for hacking it. So that's a great example of a game that's got a thousand and one modifications. Okay, so like, thanks for coming to my TED talk. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, you know, do you have any questions? You want to follow up on that in any way? Well, sure. So what is a good resource for somebody who wants to get started in this? Like, what's a good hub for them to go to for information or to see versions of the games that they might be interested in or collections of tools? Cool. Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, and again, like, if you're dipping your toe in, a uh, place you really want to start going is romhacking.net. So this website that's just a whole community for people who are working on these. And not only is it a place where they share their creations and you can get the patch files I mentioned, but you can get the patching utilities. So this would be a program you run on your computer and you take the patch file. Usually that ends in .ips, so it's the patching file format for these games. And then you take your standard ROM and they right over each other and make the patch ROM. Uh, so you can get those tools there and then you can just look through everything that's been patched and all the different kinds of ROM hacks and anything of that sort that you just want to experiment with and uh, have a new way to play one of your favorite games or play something totally different you've never even thought of playing before. Now, how much programming knowledge do you need to have in order to use some of these tools? Um, if you can operate an emulator, I think you can figure out a patching utility. That's not really that complicated. What you need the high-level computer skills for is to do the hacks yourself. But consuming these just requires you be computer literate enough to understand some of the concepts I've been talking about, which I'm sure you probably do if you're listening to Home on the RNG. And, uh, you know, basically you don't have to be a programmer to do this stuff. You just have to be able to read enough documents to figure out patching a ROM and figuring out what you want to play and get it to load in your emulator. You know, so if you can troubleshoot getting a ROM to play in your emulator, you can probably handle ROM patching. Where would be a good place to start? What game should I start with if I want to experience some of these new hybrids of the games that I'm familiar with? Well, you know, there's the classics, all kinds of early games, um, like the original Super Mario Brothers on NES has been hacked to death. You know, you could go on romhacking.net and look and you would probably find hundreds if not thousands of pre-patched Super Mario Brothers games. In fact, we have the page loaded right now and there's a brand new hack of the original Super Mario Brothers just listed in the feed of the newest hacks. It says it's a Peach and Daisy hack. So you can finally be your own self-rescuing princess or perhaps your plumber is in another castle. Quite possible. I mean, you know, plumbers are hard to come by now. Apparently, since the pandemic, it, you just can't get a plumber. Which is probably why Bowser has kidnapped the Mario Brothers. Yeah, he needs them to fix all that plumbing. Look, well, look I look guy. at the size of that guy. Yeah. His plumbing needs constant maintenance. Yeah, and like, look how big those pipes are in the Mushroom Kingdom. It's... I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> I, wow. I reached the level at which I want to think about the inside of those... Oh my god, and Mario just goes through them? Look, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. Oh my god. Wow. Uh, yeah, so... And like this... You know, we haven't clicked on it yet, but, uh, you know, presumably this is a simple enough ROM hack where they just took the sprite for Mario and replaced it with the sprite for Daisy. Presumably. Yeah, and that's, 
theoretically simple, but that's that's just the the, the bare surface of what you could be doing. Actually, I, I as I recall, the sprite for Peach was actually pretty ugly in the original game. Maybe they made a new one, hopefully. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to presume that they're artists, but this is the thing, too, is ROM hacks are often produced by a team of people who are working together as a translation project. So, uh, not a translation project, per se. It could be a translation project, or it could just be a team of hackers. Some people are solo um, renaissance men, or women, you know, or non-men or women. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about uh, translation here. Okay. Because uh, why not? Uh, we have encountered this once or twice. You remember Russ and I did a side quest where we played Clock Tower for the SNES, which never came out in America. So we did play a translated ROM of that so that we could talk about it. Especially Russ and I focusing on JRPGs. There are so many JRPGs that never got an English translation. And so it's a very popular for these ROM hackers to just... they. They replace the trans the translation of the game. They replace the original language of the game with an English translation. That's the hack, uh, allowing them to bring forward either unmodified versions of Japanese games, because in many cases the game was changed in various ways for American audiences or European audiences, or to bring out games that never got an English language release. Yeah, and a good example of some of those changes you would hear about. Um... For, for localization would be um, modified sprites for censorship. Like maybe there would be like some, some questions of the sensitivity of the appearance of this cross in this <laughs> Castlevania game. Nintendo famously real harsh on the censorship early on. Yeah, take the titties off that statue, okay? <laughs> That's, you're going to scare the American kids. Um, so one of the most famous... Trans the first translation that comes to mind is the Mother 3 translation because... Nintendo has a policy that Mother 3 fans must always be kept upset. That is just a company policy. Uh, so Tomato, uh, a guy who works for Fangamer.net, which sells some great merchandise, go check it out by all means, he created a fan translation. He created an English translation by himself. Any of you who have played Mother 3 have played his translation, and he's offered it to Nintendo for free. He said, look, I did the work. Take it. Release the game. And Nintendo said, yeah, we can't do that. We, we don't release Mother 3. That's our rule. Recently, I've started reading a book about the history of JRPGs. You may have heard me mention Bitmap Books before. Bitmap Books is a great website to find really quality books about video games. And I'm reading a book from them right now about JRPGs, and it focuses a lot on ones that I'd never heard of, that never got translated out here. And I've started making a list of, you know, the, first of all, it's thousands of games. I do not have a list of thousands of games. I am grabbing the ones that stand out to me that sound particularly interesting to me for whatever reason. And I've been working on finding fan translations, so just for fun. Some of the things that I'm looking for, some of them I have found fan translations of, and it's great. Some of them, not so much. One of them I'm looking for is called Lost Last Armageddon. It is essentially a post-apocalyptic game where all of the humans have been wiped out, and you play as monsters who are fighting alien invaders for control of the Earth. So your party is a group of monsters. And the, the premise just sounded interesting to me. Uh, some of the pictures looked good. I wanted to find it. Currently, there is not a completed fan translation of this, but there are supposedly people working on it. SD Snatcher is one. 
Uh, I never played the original Snatcher, but I've heard about it. It seems interesting to me. And then I read about SD Snatcher. Now, this is uh, a cyberpunk detective-style game. And apparently what they did is they came out with Snatcher, and then later they made a new version of it that changed the art style of all the characters and added more story. So, of course, I'm going for the one that has more story. We all know that's why I'm in this game in the first place. But that one with more story never came out. So, uh, again, there are people who are working on translations. I think there may be a translation of SD Snatcher. I just don't have it yet. There's a series called Heracles No Ico, which is supposed to be a really good series based on Greek legends. The Metal Max series really got my attention. A post-apocalyptic series around heavily featuring, you know, upgrading and designing your tank and you have a dog. Who doesn't want to wander through a post-apocalyptic wasteland with a dog? The... Oh, God, and Russ is not here to say the Japanese stuff for me. Hey, Cameron, say the Japanese stuff for me. Oh, okay. Uh, So the next thing on your list, uh, let's see. Tengai Makyo. That Uh, one. A JRPG with a wacky feel to it. Yeah. Please elaborate, uh, Jeff. So it's supposed to be almost a parody of JRPGs and a parody of the Japanese culture. Although apparently some later ones do travel to America and make fun of American culture. But there are not a lot of JRPGs with humor built in. Uh, At least not the ones that got released here. And some of the ones that do have humor in it, Lunar 2, which I famously have my issues with, where the humor is counter to the entire point of the game. Whereas, uh, you know, Earthbound has built into it a sense of whimsy. This series, That's one way to put it. This series called... Oh, uh, wait. The Rudra same no one. He, oh, Tengai Makyo. That one uh, supposedly has in itself just a lot of self-parody, a lot of humor around it. Uh, there's another... That's the reason I also have uh, Love Quest, which is supposed to be a really cute uh, SNES JRPG game that mostly makes fun of itself for how awful it is in the game. And then I also, for humorous games, I have... Uh, Gokinjo Bokintai. Which is supposed to be... It's described as Earthbound-esque, which always at least gets my attention. But it's about, like, a little eight-year-old girl and the adventures in her life. So, like, she and her friends will be trying to slay the monster and then, like, one of the moms will just come bursting through the wall and drag her kid home because it's time to go home. And the monster was actually some cardboard thing they had constructed. So it's kind of this fourth wall breaking, um, humorous look at childhood adventures. Imagine losing uh, a boss fight to a cardboard cutout. Well, now I'm scared to play the game. <laughs> uh, and then one of the other games that I did get was one of Square's last SNES games called... Uh. You want me to do it? Yes. Uh, Rudra no Hiho. Because, you know, Square did a lot of great stuff on the SNES. Uh, and you got to figure their last one, and from what I read in the book, this is where they put all their knowledge out on it. They were just like, we have all this experience, here's our pinnacle. And, of course, it never came out in English. So some of these games that you've heard me mention hopefully will one day have Home on the RNG episodes about them, but, you know, don't hold your breath. I have been talking nonstop for a while now. Talk about fan translations. No, that's good. Please please get hype. Stay hype. Um, so the, the situation with fan translations, I, I found that super interesting. These were the first ROM hacks I found really compelling to start playing because it was making accessible to me these games that just 
were unplayable to me previously because you know you could learn Japanese and learn to play a Super NES game. That's God knows I'm actually considering it. That's a hard yeah. commit. I mean, you know, like oh. So my point is, it makes it makes these games that are just otherwise completely inaccessible accessible. And of course, like I said, you should buy the legal Japanese copy on eBay so you can play these legally. So once you do that, you can find and patch the ROMs for these Japanese games and play them. And there are tons of different different fan translations for things like Square games that just never were released in America. And specifically, what part of what's interesting to me is the technical aspect, because doing some ROM hacks, like I, we mentioned the Mario game that just has the sprite swapped out so you can play as Daisy, that's fairly rudimentary, and I don't want to say it's like you know, we could all do it because you have to be able to disassemble and reassemble a NES game. But to do a translation is much more technically complicated because you usually need a team of people. You need the hackers. You need the people who can actually edit and translate the scripts. And you might need some artists to adapt graphics that have Japanese on them to English or... Well, there's also a technical requirement because, God, I hope I don't screw this up and sound stupid... When it comes to the written text in a Japanese game, there are three different forms of alphabets, for lack of a better term, that the Japanese will use. Yeah. Uh, and which one they're using depends on a lot of things that I don't understand. But essentially, it's not a simple matter to just take the Japanese things and replace it with letters. The Japanese language is a lot more compact for a start. Uh -huh. Those symbols don't just represent a letter, they represent words or concepts. So ripping out all of the Japanese text and figuring out how to translate it, not just literally translate, because then it would be machine talk, essentially. It would be almost incomprehensible. You have to translate it in context and then figure out how to cram all of those letters into the text boxes so that they fit. Oftentimes having to reprogram, all right, here's how big the text box is, here's how big the letters are. Well, now this scene doesn't have two bubbles of dialogue. Now it's gonna have six bubbles of dialogue so we can fix all the words in. All of this is a lot more work than just, well, I just replaced that symbol with A, find replace. Yes. All right, now find replace B. It's a lot. Absolutely. And I'm amazed at the people who have the time to do this for free yeah just just because they want to make something available to people i think it it's amazing and even then i mean i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it is very technically complex to do that and um <clears throat> we could digress on the japanese language for a while in a nutshell it has two phonetic writing systems and the chinese han writing system called kanji so and that's a that's a pictogram system where one one character can represent a whole word and uh you know of course that's very complicated so what happens is you know uh character for character it's a lot more dense as you were saying and also there's no native english alphabet system in the japanese games fairly frequently and uh so what you'll have is you'll have the ROM hackers dumping out the whole script, getting it to translators, the translators translating it, and while the translators are translating it, you have the hackers modifying the text system, like the fonts and the character sets, as you mentioned, so that they're even able to generate English text. And even then, for the translators, especially with these older games, when you're, when you're going back to the NES and the SNES, the games were, see, and I'm not as technically minded as Cameron 
so I'm not going to be able to describe this as elegantly, but for the, the non-technical people at home, it's not as if when you just dump the translation, when you dump the Japanese text out of the game, that it all makes perfect sense. They essentially cram whatever bits of language they can into whatever space is available in the program there. So when you're getting just a printout of all the Japanese language in a game, it's not necessarily in the order of the game. And you don't necessarily have the context for, okay, here, this could mean home or it could mean safe. And all it says is, I'm this word. So I don't know if he's saying I'm home and I'm or I'm safe and I don't have any other context around it. So they have to dig through the script to try and find the piece that goes before and the piece that goes after. It's it's a puzzle half the time with these older games. I believe newer games, typically, they've made it a little easier. But in older games, it was just shoving the programming any way it'll fit. Pretty much. And then, um, you know, beyond that, I mean, localization is a process. You say, oh, you say translation, and that means a subset of localization. So when you're translating things out of Japanese... Lots of things just don't translate accurately, and that's why you have localization teams in Nintendo of America or wherever else, and a lot of what they're doing is not doing a literal word-for-word translation. A lot of what they're doing is trying to rewrite this joke or express this concept that doesn't have any comparable word in English. Famously, one of the examples of this that they tried to do that did not work out is Persona 1, which I'm about to start playing for the first time, but... uh, one of the main characters in Persona 1 is belongs to a particular subset of Japanese culture that when Japanese people looked at I believe his name is Mark in the English game. When Japanese people look at him, they go, oh, he's one of those. Like, they instantly get the reference. And when they were localizing it, they went, okay, American audiences aren't going to know what the hell that is. So we'll just make him a black kid. Oof. Yeah, they just, they changed his race because nobody's going to understand this weird Japanese subculture the guy's representing. Just make him a black kid, and we're fine. Another... Wow. My understanding is a lot of my issues with Lunar 2 are because the sense of humor keeps getting... Or the air quotes sense of humor keeps getting in the way of the actual story that I'm trying to get to. And it's my understanding that Working Arts, which translated it, had a real habit of doing that. They didn't just localize, but they had to put their spin on it. Which is why you got like poop jokes in Lunar One, and you had the joke about the woman having her period at the climactic moment of Lunar Two, uh, because that's cringe. Because they didn't want to just localize it; they wanted to put their company stamp on it. This is a working arts. This is how we do it. So localization can sometimes be a little hit and miss. Like you say, it's trying to a pun. You cannot translate a pun from Japanese to English. There's no way it's going to work. So what you do is you come up with a different pun that would work so that there's still that feeling of, oh, I get it, this character's being funny right now. Yeah, so there's like a beat where someone told a joke, but it, it cannot be the same joke. Like, there's this, this is digressive, I, I heard this funny story once about this this American businessman who was giving a speech in Japanese, and... Uh, he tells a joke at the end of it, and apparently this one time he had a translator, and what the translator said was, oh, he's trying to tell a joke right now. It's uh, 
it's really not going to translate. I'm so sorry. But when I tell you, please laugh and clap because that's what he's <laughs> trying to get to happen here. Pretty much. And then later the guy comes up and he says, man, no one ever gets that joke. You did a great job. Thank you. You know, so it's, it's, it's essentially that. And it's worth mentioning a lot of these really good and experienced, like it'll be a translation group. Like there will be a ROM hacking group that specifically does translations and that's their specialization. A lot of them are very cautious when they're doing localizations like that, and part of it is because they know they're shooting for a more uh, a more specialized audience of people who are sensitive to the Japanese language differences and who are looking for an authentic experience. And it's not six year olds who uh, you know are getting a Super Nintendo for Christmas in 1996. What's nice, though, um, coming to I think maybe the end of this conversation. What's nice is. A story about Geofront. Geofront is one of these translation groups, and they set out with a goal to translate the two Crossbell games from the Trails in, in the, the Trails series, Trails in the Sky, Trails of Cold Steel, and in the middle is the two Crossbell games that never got an English translation. They put a ton of work into the localization, the translation. They upgraded the graphics a little bit. They put in quality of life improvements. They fixed bugs that were in the initial game. And they released the first one, Trails from Zero, and it was great. It was amazing. Now, they actually did require you to go and buy a legal Japanese version of it. They'd link you to a Japanese store, you bought the Japanese game, and then you'd apply the patch. So I have no problem telling you, yes, I played their translation because I spent money on an official Japanese version. They didn't want a penny for the work they did. And then they did the same thing to the sequel, Trails to Azure, or Trails of Azure, I can't remember because the names aren't really that helpful. Within a week of them releasing that, they had to take it down off the internet because Falcom, the company that makes the games, signed them on. Wow. And announced that they are releasing official English translations of the Crossbell games, and Geofront will be the ones doing it. They'll use Geofront's work as a base, and Geofront will work with Falcom to do whatever you need to do to make it official. Going pro. Hell yeah. And so I think we're now kind of reaching a turning point where in the past these kinds of fan translations and ROM hacks were like, listen, don't tell anybody, but I got this. If you want to play this game, I got this file. Where do you get the file, bro? Listen, don't ask, don't tell. Just it, you'll find it under the front mat on the full moon. Instead, we're now at a point where uh, famously Tomato, you know, reached out to Nintendo and said, hey, you can have this for free. Now, Nintendo didn't take a month on it because they've got to stick up their butt about Mother 3. But Falcom came out and just said, you guys did great work. Let's do it together. So I, I'm hoping that we're at a turning point here where ROM hacking and especially uh, fan translations are going to be more hand in hand with the companies because the productions they're putting out are becoming more and more professional. Oh, yeah. The teams are getting more experienced with the tools, and they're doing... The work they did with Trails from Zero, I didn't even get to play the fan their translation of Trails to Azure because it was up and down pretty quick. But now I get to play an official English one done by them, so I'm happy. Oh, yeah, that's great. You so know. I'm, I'm hoping this is the direction the industry is going because these people do a ton of work and Geofront never asked for a penny of my money. Mm -hmm. Do you what? have any c conclusion, any closing thoughts you'd like to throw out? Well, for um, 
for fan translations, I think it's important that we just name drop and uh, kind of provide some more resources sure. to our listeners. Go for it. Um, so we mentioned Tomato's translation of Mother 3. Uh, definitely if you have a Mother 3 legal copy, which that's a pretty recent uh, release. It's not hard to get. What's funny, just a little side story, when Mother 3 first came out, Russ and I, being the ridiculously large Earthbound fans that we are, Russ did buy a legal version of Mother 3 in Japanese when it came out. And thankfully, some other super fan did, like it was on GameFAQs, just typed out a translation of the game. So Russ printed that out, and he played the game, turning the page, like the thing said, if you talk to the frog in the upper left corner, this is what he's saying. Wow. And then he lent it to me, and I did the same thing. I played, my first playthrough of Mother 3 was in Japanese, with a script, and then I had to have a notebook, because it didn't translate things like attack. So I'd have to have a tra- I had my own translation of these are the attacks. Oh, if you use the skill that looks like this series of symbols, it looks like it makes the enemy turn around sometimes. All right, so that means turn around. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's amazing. And usually, like, it, ROM hackers when they're translating a game, if they have an incomplete translation, the first thing they translate will be the battle menus. Uh, or the menus in general. Sure, but this um, was just so oh, people yeah. could read through the experience. Of but course. we decided to play through it and read yeah. it. I could have just read the thing, and it would have been almost like playing the game. But no, yeah. we went all in. I mean, specifically, though, Tomato's Mother 3 translation is extremely high quality, and it's impressive as a production, because he did a lot of stuff that makes the style consistent. Like, it's using the Earthbound font, so yeah. it looks like Earthbound. He released his own patcher, so if you have a legal copy, you don't have to mess with having a separate patching file. It's one program you run, you put in the ROM, it checks if it's the right ROM, and then it'll do the patch. And he's maintained it. I think it's on version 1.3 now, but yeah, I first it played a, it on version 1.1. It had an update in the last couple months, although you're probably hearing this episode like a year later. But anyway. Yeah, so that's fun. Beyond that, I think we should mention uh, another translation group, uh, Aeon Genesis. Aeon Genesis translations has done a lot of really interesting games. You mentioned earlier the translation of, oh, Clock Tower. They did Clock Tower. Yes. So they did the Clock Tower translation. He's got their webpage up in front of us right now, and it is just a beautiful screen full of all of these games. And so many of them are Square games. Like, So here's an Atlas game. That's actually a Shin Megami game, right? It's a spinoff of the Shin Megami, which we're going to have to do a whole side quest about the Shin Megami Tensei series and spinoffs and spinoffs and spinoffs because yeah. it's crazy. And I mean, just looking through here, I'm just trying to see how many Square games there are because there's a ton of Square games on this list. Uh, oh, geez. Because when you're talking JRPGs, which is obviously a particular interest of mine, it's Square for the Super Nintendo kicked a lot of butt. Yeah, so here's a, here's a front mission game, but this is actually an action game. So completely off topic for just a second because they have a translation of a game called Esper Dream 2. I just recently... This is either going to be a thing where you're like, I never knew that, or I'm an idiot because I didn't know it. So one of our worlds is about to be blown. Are you ready? Yeah. Do you know why they call them espers? What that name comes from? Um, no. It has to do with the fact that psychic powers are kind of a standard trope in Japanese stories. It's ESP-ers. Oh, huh. That's actually where espers come from. It's extrasensory perception users that's interesting well i'm glad to know that that makes a lot of sense it makes me feel better that you didn't know that because now it's not one of those things that everybody knew and i was late to the party but yeah i mean they have a ton of konami games they have a translation of lagrange point which is really hard to emulate actually 
Um, they they did two of the Metal Max games you mentioned. Well, they're working on Metal Max Two, so I'm gonna be sitting here and waiting on Metal uh, Max Two to be finished. And you said Metal Max Returns is the third one. I believe that's the third game. Cool. Uh, I did find a trans fan translation of the first one. Oh look, okay. Oh, and Shin look, Megami there's Tensei some Shin Megami Tensei complete. Yes, I've actually played this one, the Shin Megami Tensei one, and it's it's real classic. Oh, Star Fox Two, look. That's not the Star Fox 2 that came in the Super NES, but, uh, I mean, the Super NES Mini thing. Yeah. That's actually a Nintendo translation. They also have Shin Megami Tensei If, which is the spinoff that inspired the Persona games, which are a spinoff of If, which is a spinoff of... Anyway. And so um, these are all just productions from one group of people. Are there any other groups you want to mention real quick before we finish? Because there's a thunderstorm outside, and I think we're going to lose power here in a second. Oh. um, No, I think anything else would be split... Okay, so Aeon Genesis is a great place to look. Uh, ROM Hacking also has some fan translations on it that I've found, so those are two great. Cam, I want to thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for Uh, taking time to chat with me about this. Absolutely. I think we've covered a lot of ground today, and I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, And I will see you guys next time. Yeah, it's been real. Bye.